0: a lot of things to explain and try to understand, but it's been one of the books that I've studied since I've been a teenager, and it's just one that I was always very interested in. But I have to tell you, it's one of those occasions of... Interesting there. Oh, that is sounding better. I like that already. I felt like the other one, something wasn't quite right there. But uh, so, is that, is that working for you, Esther? <laughs> That's good. We, we definitely want it to work for Esther. I always love seeing Esther when I'm here. Uh, she's a reminder of, to me of someone that is so faithful, uh, and I just so appreciate that. Appreciate that so much. Appreciate her. Well, so back to the book of Revelation. It's one of those books that I just feel like we're on holy ground every time. Well, every time you open the scriptures, period, that's true. But it seems especially when you open the book of Revelation, there's just um, a need to really come before God with, with a penitent heart um, and just really to look into what God has for us. I'm especially uh, moved by the person that God chose to write the book of Revelation, none other but John. And as you study what other passages John wrote in the Bible, like the Gospel of John is, is just probably my favorite gospel. And because John wrote specifically that we would know and that we would understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John makes it very clear that what he writes about Jesus we need to pay really close attention to. And then, of course, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then the book of Revelation. John was always concerned about the record, the testimony, uh, the fact that that what we say matters. And God uh, told John to write uh, the things that he wrote in the book of John. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of John... John says that I suppose if everything was written that could be written about Jesus, that the world itself would not be big enough to contain the books that that could be written. That really says something to me. I have about 3,000 books in my library. I love to read, love to study, and and I have so many books and so many things underlined. And there's just so much to learn. And John says that's what's true about Jesus. There's so much to learn about him that the world couldn't contain all the books that could be written. And so you come to the book of Revelation, and it says in chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel and unto his servant John. And it says in the next verse, who bore record. There you have it again. John is, is writing so that we would understand the truth, the truth about Jesus. Jesus is the central figure of the book of Revelation. It's all about Jesus. It's about him. Now, it's a challenging book. There's a lot of things in here that um, are really tough to understand until I mean I mean I myself I've had to like read some of the chapters over and over and over again, and then compare it with other scriptures and really study it hard to understand what exactly is being said. But verse three of chapter one should I not remind us that it says, "Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein." for the time is at hand. And that's a key statement. And, uh, and then you come to the John, one of the first things that God gives John to write about is the letters to the seven churches. And Pastor Michael has gotten over them and he's done a, a terrific job explaining those letters to the seven churches. Those letters are an assessment, an assessment of how those churches were doing. And w- When I look at those letters to the seven churches, I can't think of of help but think of the fact that when it comes to this book of Revelation and understanding what God wants us to learn from it, that maybe all of us from time to time need to just stop and take an assessment of ourselves, and just look into our soul and say, you know, how, how is it going? How am I doing? Uh, am I growing as a Christian? Am, am, am I doing the things that would please Jesus? Is he happy with what he sees? And those letters to the seven churches, uh, they almost always started out with a commendation. I think there's only maybe two churches that, that there was nothing God had to say that was good about them. Uh, that's frightening uh, because Jesus, in, in all the other cases, always started out with a commendation. Here's what I like. When I look at your church. I like that. I mean I you know, if God wrote a letter directly to us, which he really has in his word, but if he wrote a letter, dear Andy, and in, in that letter if God were to write down all the things he likes about Andy, I would hope that what he would start out with would be really refreshing. Or dear Rod, this is what I see. Besides the commendation, though, there was also a condemnation, things that God saw that he didn't like. That's the part that frightens me. If God were looking at our church, what does he see that he doesn't like? That's what we've got to pay attention to. And Then often after that, condemnation was a, con- was a recommendation or a caution. I mean, here's what you need to do to go back and fix some things. And those are the things that we've got to pay attention to. What does God notice? What does he see? Well, first of all, he sees everything. And what does he want us to fix? I, a couple of those letters, that, I mean, I, Pastor Michael covered them really good, but there's just a couple things that I would say before we move on from that. One of my favorite churches was the Church of Ephesus. And concerning the Church of Ephesus, I'm pretty sure it was Ephesus where he said, you've left your first love. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly what that is. I didn't hear Pastor Michael's message on that. I, I think there's a, several things that it could, it could be the fact that uh, we don't care about the loss as much as we used to. I, I don't know. Maybe just their walk with God. Maybe they got so busy that um, things had kind of been forgotten that really matter. Um, the letter to the Church of Laodicea was, was certainly uh, attention-getting. But in those letters, what did he see? Um, in those letters regarding me, like how, what, what application do I make to that? Well, the fact that, like I say, we every once in a while, we need to make an assessment of ourselves. Uh, I do that usually the end of every year and the first of every year. I kind of get some time alone with God, and I just ask God, what does he want me to do different this year? What, what does he need to strengthened in my life so that I can really serve others. And so this is a good time of year to be thinking about that. Well, you finish those letters to the seven churches and then you come to Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4, it says, After this I looked, and, and behold, the door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which had come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. I think about that uh, call of God upon John's life where John called him into heaven and gave him a vision of the things that were about to happen. I can't imagine being given the responsibility that John was given. John was given this overwhelming task of recording what God showed him regarding the end times. Uh, and I like to think that I'm a Pretty capable person, and in fact, I, I believe I have the gift of administration. I love sorting things out and putting things in order, and I love I love giving order to things. And um, but I can't even begin for an, for a, for a moment, being given the task that God just gave John that we just read about. John had been very worthy when you think about it. He he was asked to write the Gospel of John and John recorded everything that was very, uh, very carefully had to be recorded. I can't imagine that task. But then he gives him the responsibility to write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I believe John did such a, such a great job. He was so worthy of the job. When he wrote the Gospel account of the, the Gospel of John, it, it was exactly what God wanted him to write. And so he gives him a bigger task you're going to write the book of Revelation. Can you imagine that? I can't for a moment. Um, I happen to have in my uh, hands a, a chart of end times. It's like a timeline. I thought to myself, in fact, on one occasion, I was going to write a timeline to the because I love the book of Revelation. I love to study future events, and I was going to write a timeline. And the more I tried to do it... I, I just, I finally gave up. I said, there's got to be one out there that's already done. Well, Word of Life made one a number of years ago, and I I know it'll be hard for you to see where you're at. But uh, here in the timeline, you have uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, and it starts from there. Then you have the church age that we're living in presently. And then you have the tribulation period. You have the battle of Armageddon at the end of time, and then the unsaved that are cast into the lake of fire. But as I've studied through Revelation, trying to keep it all in order and to sort it out, and and John, so John is given that responsibility. I want you to write the things which you've seen, the things that are and the things that are going to still come. And I don't know how John did it, quite honestly. I mean, obviously he was inspired by God. But to write these things, and many of the things John saw, he didn't even fully understand. God had given him a vision to see what was going to happen. Could you imagine God calling you up into heaven and saying, Bruce, I want you to write down the things that I'm about to show you. I would be writing so fast and I would be like, oh, no, wait a minute, could you show me that again? I'm not sure I quite got that one. That's, that's like hard to grasp. And so uh, in this timeline, and you can look at it afterwards, uh, it, it, it'll, it'll show this timeline, will show the rapture, It'll show what's going to happen during the tribulation and I'm going to walk through a few things and we're going to come back to chapter 5 where, where we will end. But uh, in this timeline, you see the, the beam of judgment seat of Christ. You see the great white throne judgment seat or judgment and uh, the eternal state. I mean, I mean, it's really interesting. You see the bride of Christ. We that are believers are part of that body of Christ, the bride of Christ. I, I can't imagine being in any one of these other groups. That's the group I want to be in. And uh, so you look at that timeline. And in John, we'll just see if that maybe will sit right there. I, I think it will. I'll uh, tell you what, let's do that. So John is given this overwhelming task and, uh, regarding the end times. And one of the things that John, um, I think, uh, a number of the uh, gospel writers understood was that the rapture is what we believe is the very next thing to happen in God's timeline. It's it's on the timeline map in front of you. But I believe the very next thing to happen in God's timeline is the, the imminent return of Christ. When we call it the imminent return, it means it can happen at any moment. It could happen right now. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. There's nothing that really has to happen that we know of in Scripture before Jesus comes again. That's why we call it the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So what's going to happen after the imminent return of Jesus Christ? If Jesus were to come and take his, the body of Christ today, believers, and we were snatched up, that's what it means. Well, in heaven, we believe that one of the next things to happen will be the beam of judgment seat of Christ. And that is where we will all stand before Christ and we will all give an account of ourselves to Jesus for what we have done. Now, we call it the beam of judgment seat, but in a, in a sense, it's not really a judgment in the sense that our sins have already been judged. They've already been nailed to the cross. We have been forgiven. But it is a time that we will give account of ourselves and I think we will talk to God about opportunities that we missed we will talk about what we did with the, with the gifts that he gave us. Uh, I believe that every believer in Christ has been given a spiritual gift, a gift to serve him. I, I don't know what that gift might be for you, um, but whatever gift God has given us, it's always for the purpose of serving him. And I think one of the things I'm going to do at that beam of judgment seat of Christ is explain what I did with the gift that God gave me. Uh, if God gave me a gift and I didn't use it at all, I think I'm going to answer for that someday. And, I'm, I, and it's going to be maybe a very embarrassing time when I try to make excuses. I mean, frankly, I don't think we will. I think we're just going to stand there with nothing to say. And, and for some, it's going to be a time of reward. I think Jesus is going to be very well-pleased. We've seen in scriptures that for some, he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You used the gift that I gave you, and you used it for me. For others, I think it's going to be a sense of loss. It's interesting, as I, as I study in the scriptures, um, I understand in the Old Testament that the sound of the trumpet meant two things. Because we believe when the rapture happens that that, that trumpet is going to sound. And one of the things that trumpet sound meant is for, on some occasions, it meant to prepare for battle. And on other occasions, it meant to prepare for worship. That was the two t- times that they sounded the trumpet. And do you know, when I think we look at future events, I think both, uh, both of those reasons are going to exist. When that trumpet sounds, and we need to be listening for it, I think for the angels, it's going to mean prepare for battle because thousands of believers are about to be raptured from the earth and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Graves are going to give up the bodies of the dead in Christ. And Satan is not going to be happy about the rapture and he is undoubtedly going to resist, but to no avail. So for the angels, that trumpet's going to mean prepare for battle. Something amazing is about to happen. For us believers, it's going to be the trumpet sound to prepare to worship and an experience that we're really going to cherish, especially in that as an act of mercy, we're going to miss the tribulation. I believe that with all my heart. That's not what everyone teaches today, but I believe we're going to miss the tribulation. I don't believe we're going to be here. And all the language in the New Testament seems to point toward that. After the rapture, so believers will be in heaven, will appear before the beam of judgment seat of Christ. Believers are going to be rewarded for how they have used their gifts for God. And um, the church, the body of Christ, is then going to be presented as the bride of Christ. What an an amazing ceremony that's going to be. Uh, The marriage of the Lamb. That's going to happen, I believe, after the beam of judgment seat of Christ when when, when we are going to be presented as the bride of Christ. After the marriage ceremony is usually a banquet, a a marriage celebration, so to speak. And... um, as I've been studying even this week, uh, one of the things that that, uh, I was reminded of is that in the the Bible times, if a a family had a lot of affluence, they were well-to-do, that celebration could actually take days and even weeks uh, where that marriage was celebrated and that banquet went on for days, not just a few hours, but days. Can you imagine that? And... My understanding is that some theologians actually believe that the marriage, uh, the ceremony is going to happen in heaven after the beam of judgment seat of Christ, but that the banquet, the celebration, may actually be back here on earth. And because our God owns the cattle on a thousand thousand hills, it's going to be that thousand-year reign is actually going to be that marriage celebration, a thousand years, because of the wealth of our God. And so, while the beam of judgment seat of Christ and the marriage of the Lamb happens in heaven, that the um, marriage banquet actually will take place on earth. But there's a lot of other things to talk to you about. That's the scene in heaven. What is the scene going to be like on earth? While we're in heaven and, and we're celebrating and, and uh, we're with our Savior... I got to tell you that the scene here on earth is not going to be a happy one. It's going to be a time of tribulation. It's going to be a horrible time. Um, A time when God will accomplish several things. I wrote down in my notes, I mean, there's at least five things that I think God's going to accomplish during the tribulation, but I wrote down three of them. Number one, to prove once and for all that Satan is corrupt and evil. Since the beginning of time, there's been a war between good and evil. In fact, we read in our quiet time this, this week, uh, Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, the five I wills that Satan said, like I will reign, and, and all of those different things, Satan wanted to be God. And God is going to prove once and for all that Satan is corrupt and he's evil and he's going to be judged. And I think secondly, to punish the unbelieving Gentiles, one sin that, that God will not overlook is this whole idea of rejecting his son. When you consider the demonic activity that's going to take place during the tribulation, it is not going to be a good place or a fun place to be. In fact, As I was just studying this week, that unbelievers are going to face a torment of demons. There's several judgments that's going to involve demons that are going to be unleashed, and and it's going to be a, a time when they're going to hide. People are going to hide from these demons, but but let me tell you, that isn't to be compared to the wrath of the Lamb of God, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. That's going to be the other thing that's going to be just unleashed during the tribulation. The first time Jesus came, we already know that he came as the lamb. The second time, he's going to come as the lion, and and, and the wrath of God is going to be poured out on mankind, and that's the third uh, thing to purge Israel. So much of the rest of the book of Revelation is a description of of three major sets of judgments that we're told in Revelations chapter 6, actually from 6 to chapter 19. That's a big portion of the book. You know, you, you have the introduction in Revelation and the letters to the seven churches in 2 and 3, and then 4 of Seen in Heaven, and chapter 5, this scene concerning this scroll, which I'm going to come back to in just a moment. But from 6 to 19, then, is, is largely about the judgments that are going to happen. And, and the first set of judgments are going to be these seven sealed judgments, during which time at least a fourth of the population is going to lose their lives. A fourth. I mean, can you imagine a calamity so bad or a pestilence or a pandemic so bad that a fourth of society is wiped out? In fact, later it says a third. In another judgment, a third of, of the world is wiped out. Well, if you add those two together, that's about half of civilization. Now, understand believers have been raptured, so we're gone, we're, we're not here. But a fourth is gonna be killed and then a third later. That's about half. So the world is going to be reduced in a very short time to about half of its population. You don't think the tribulation is going to be a bad time. It's, it's going to be a horrible time. I don't have time to go through all the judgments, but but the first set of judgments are the seven sealed judgments. And they're horrible. The death tolls are going to be in the millions. Can you imagine what the scene is going to be like in hospitals? I mean, right now, you know, the news is just, you know, you just hear this constant pandemic stuff, you know, and like we're at, we're at this high capacity that we don't know how we're going to take. During the tribulation, it's going to blow the hospitals right out of the water. Society isn't even going to know how to deal with it. And that's just the beginning. That's in the first half of the tribulation, the seven sealed judgments. I don't know if you realize this, but the last sealed judgment introduces the seven trumpet judgments. And the last seal judgment will bring to earth a trumpet judgment, which makes the seal judgments look like a Sunday school picnic. It's going to get even worse. And then the seven trumpet judgment introduces the seven bowl judgments or vile judgments. I, I brought a bowl because the, the picture is actually Jamie, one of um, our favorite foods. She likes to make jello, and so she uses these bowls quite often to put jello in. And. Um, when I think of the, I mean, when I uh, read this in Revelation, I think about a bowl and, and how a bowl is used to pour it out. When you go through the seven sealed judgments, and then the seven trumpet judgments, and the last one introduces the seven bowl judgments, by this time, it's literally a picture of God pouring his wrath out upon the earth. And, and mankind is literally going to be angry with God. You would think after all those judgments, I mean, one of the things that I wrote in my notes is I I would think after all those judgments that people would finally get on their knees and pray to God and to receive him and to finally turn their hearts to him. And yes, some will actually. But most of mankind, you know how they're going to react? Their hearts are going to be hardened and they're literally going to shake their fist at God. And God will continue to pour out his judgment, seven bowls. And it's, I mean, you just picture an earth that God is saying, enough is enough. You won't turn to me. And and you know what? You know the reason why God is going to judge him is because they've rejected Jesus. That's the one sin that God will not turn, his he will not look away from. You cannot reject Jesus and get away with it. It, 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 That is going to be punished. God will not forgive that. From my understanding of Scripture, God forgives anything else if we come to him. But he will not forgive the rejection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's the payment that God offered to pay our price. And so those seven bold judgments are going to come and uh, they're going to be poured out upon a rebellious world to bring the world to its knees. In many cases, men are going to harden their hearts against God. I don't understand that, but they will. And then you come to Revelation chapter 18. I'm just kind of going through a little bit of a timeline the whole financial structure of the world is going to collapse in Revelation 18. The political and the economic foundation completely collapses. And by this time, fear is going to be rampant. Everybody's going to be scared to death between the judgments and, and the final financial system totally collapsing. It's interesting that the ancient city of Babylon is mentioned in the Bible, do you know, 260 times. Not as many times as Jerusalem, but many believe that Babylon is going to become the center of the world during the tribulation. And we see that city falling in Revelation chapter 18. We're almost done with the book. Total collapse of the financial system. And then what follows that is if that isn't all bad enough, what follows that as we understand scriptures is the the biggest, bloodiest, most blasphemous war of all times, the battle of Armageddon. Well, Hollywood has tried to portray it. They don't even come close. It's going to be the, the biggest battle, the worst battle, the bloodiest battle. And there are five authors in the Bible that tell us about it. David and Isaiah and Joel, Zechariah, and then John tells us about the Battle of Armageddon. Keep in mind, this is different than the invasion from the north. The Bible also says there's going to be an invasion from the north. The north is going to come down. That battle is going to come from Gog. We believe it's probably Russia that comes down with their allies and, and attacks um, the Middle East, and God is going gonna, gonna literally, to literally wipe them out. I mean, just leaves, I forget, something like a fourth of them is all. They're going to be so defeated, God is going to punish them. It, this battle of Armageddon is different. That one's going to take place, yes, too, between the judgments. But this battle of Armageddon is going to be the battle of all battles. It's going to be and I really can't even say the final battle because there is one more after that. But it's, it's a large battle, battle of battles. Interesting enough, it's going to take place in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And by the way, there are five things that happened there, at least five things. That's where Deborah and Barak defeated the Canaanites. That's where Gideon defeated the Midianites. That's where the Philistines defeated and killed Saul. That's where David defeated, defeated Goliath. And that's where an Egyptian king killed Josiah while all the armies of the earth are going to gather to unite and turn their anger towards the God of heaven, that's then when the second coming of Christ is going to happen. That is the revelation of Christ is going to take place. And uh, it's going to be viewed more as a procession. I, I don't think the rapture is going to happen just like that. We're going to be gone in the twinkling of an eye. The difference between that and the actual second coming, because the rapture, Jesus just comes to, in the clouds. He doesn't come all the way to earth. He comes in the clouds and calls us up and we're going to be raptured up. So the second coming, some would say that that's sort of the first phase of the second coming. The second coming is when he is actually going to return to earth and he's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives and there's going to be a huge earthquake and uh, it's going to be a procession. And by that, I believe there's going to be a day when somebody is going to be looking up, maybe through a telescope, And they're going to see this invasion coming, this something coming in the sky that we don't know what it is. That's what it's going to start as. And then as the procession comes closer, people are going to understand, well, it looks like people on horses. I mean, uh, you know, and and, and I believe the armies of the world are actually going to unite over that cause. There is something coming in heaven, and we don't know what it is. And, and they're gonna, it's going to look like an invasion from outer space. Man, doesn't Hollywood, aren't they setting the stage for people to believe a, a, a lie? And they're going to unite and they're going to gather and Jesus is going to touch down on the Mount of Olives and it's going to cause a great earthquake. And there's a number of things that are going to be accomplished. Jesus is going to defeat Antichrist. He's going to restore faithful Israelites. He's going to judge and punish faithless Israel. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to bind Satan. He's going to resurrect Old Testament and tribulational saints. He's then going to judge fallen angels before he ushers in the millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And at the end of the millennium, so Jesus is going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. Satan is going to be bound. And at the end of the thousand years, the scriptures tell us that he's going to lose Satan for just a little bit. One more time. And during the millennium, there are actually babies and children going to be born because people that have lived through the tribulation that enter into the millennium that that have decided to follow Jesus, they're going to be allowed to have children. We won't. We'll be raptured. We're going to come back in that army at the second coming. Uh, We're going to go into the millennium. We will not be able to have children, but people who live through the tribulation to enter in, they will be able to have children. And their children will have never been tested like you and I. Satan has been bound. So they haven't been tempted by Satan. Can you imagine that? And it says the scripture tells that at the end of the thousand years, that Satan's going to be loosed a little bit. And he's going to literally raise up an army that is going to defy God. They're going to shake their fist at Christ the perfect ruler. And Satan is going to be allowed to gather one more time this army. And the Bible says in Revelation 29 um, 9 and 10, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So I come back, to Revelation chapter 5. I've given you just kind of an overview. and After that will be the eternal state and that ends the book of Revelation. But can you imagine this? John has been given the task of recording all of this. I, I can't imagine that. I have studied it for years and I think I finally have just a little bit of a handle on future events. Just a little John was asked to write it. And, oh yes, he does record a few other things. I, I really didn't win to him, but he writes us and tells us about the great white throne judgments where all unbelievers are judged and then sentenced in the lake of fire. The judge of that throne is Christ himself. The jury of that throne is a set of books that were recorded. The, the verdict is guilty and the punishment is the lake of fire forever and ever. Then John records the destruction of this present earth. Can you imagine writing that as, as God told him to write? And then finally he writes about the new creation of heaven and earth. So I bring us back uh, actually to the beginning of Revelation. John was on the Isle of Patmos. There for two reasons, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And after it was recorded, in fact, it says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I like that. John is on the Isle of Patmos, a place for prisoners, because he was had been exiled. And he said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. No matter what you're give, going through, and no matter what is happening all around you, we can be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. In a very special way, God had touched him and had given him one of the heaviest responsibilities that had ever been given to man to record the things which were about to happen, to record what you've seen, what the things which are and the things that shall be there after. No wonder John fell at his feet as a dead man. It had to be, in many ways, a frightening experience. And then he writes those letters, and then in chapter four, we have a scene of heaven, and then you come to chapter five. And I'm just gonna go through it quickly. It says, and I saw... In the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look therein. John had been writing this down. And and he sees God. And he sees the throne. He sees the, the 24 seats and the 24 elders that are sitting in they There's somehow a smaller seat, a smaller throne and these 24 elders, and I don't believe they were angels. I think these 24 elders are uh, somehow a representative of, of people. And John sees the scroll and, and it's in the hand of the one that's on the throne. And this Angel proclaims, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And, and no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. This is what John is writing. He's, he's seeing it as it's happening. And no man. And it says, and I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book and, and to look therein. They tell me that, um, at least from, everything I've studied, that, I mean, you have to ask the question, what, what is this scroll? What is this book? And I believe with all my heart that this scroll that he sees is the title deed to the earth. It's the title deed that was given to Adam, but Adam lost because Adam fell into sin, and, and the title deed of the earth was taken from him. And the prince of the power of the air seems to be in control of the world. From what we read from scriptures. And John recognizes how serious this is. Nobody is worthy to take this scroll, to take the title deed to the earth back because of sin. And I believe what God told him was in reference to Revelation chapter 5, and uh or what, what he told Daniel. If we were to go back in the Old Testament. Daniel wrote some things that were that are really strange. I mean Daniel understood future events probably better than any time in his day and and he 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 had studied the scriptures, and God gave him this ability to just understand what's about to happen more than anybody around him and Daniel writes about it if you read through the book of Daniel, you read about the seventy weeks, Daniel just seems to have, have this insight in this perception, but there were some things that even Daniel didn't get. He didn't quite understand. In fact, the question is asked in the book of Daniel, and he says, listen, what shall be the end of these things? Daniel's inquiring of God. He said, help me understand. And he searched the scriptures, and Daniel, who understood more than anybody around him, didn't quite understand some of the things because they were so hard that he was told to write. And I do. I believe what God told him was in reference to this Revelation chapter 5, because in Daniel, there on one occasion, God told him to seal up the things until the end of time. It's like, it's too difficult for you right now. I, I can't tell you that part. And tells him to seal it up. Ezekiel 2, 9 and 10, I think, make reference to this, where it says, and when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein and, and he spread it before me and it was written within and without just exactly like the scroll and there was written there in lamentations and mourning and woe. I mean this is like it's the judgments that were within this scroll the title deed to the earth I believe and I know my prop has, is a scroll it's actually one of these timelines and Jamie put seven seals on it to try so we, just so we could picture it. But in reality, I think the way it was is there was a seal here. And when you broke that seal and opened it up, you would open it up just so far, and there'd be another seal and then another seal and then another seal. And so as you unrolled it, as you opened it, those seven seals contained that document. So not quite like this. They tell me that in Roman government. Um, when you had a document that was sealed, that document uh, could only be opened by the rightful person of that document, the owner of that document. So if if this was Christie's document sealed, I would have no business opening that scroll. I had no right to it. Uh, It didn't belong to me. She would be the only one that could open that scroll because that was her. They also tell me in Roman government that when a scroll had seven seals, it was somehow a matter of life and death, such as a will. Interesting, isn't it? Well, back to the scriptures. It says in verse four of chapter five, I wept much. John realizes the seriousness that nobody can take back the title deed to the earth because nobody is worthy. And and, uh, he weeps. In fact, the way it's worded, there's only two other times in history that someone wept this much. And one time was when Jesus was looking out over Jerusalem and and he saw them as a people without a shepherd. And, And Jesus literally wept over Jerusalem. He was so moved with compassion. The other time is when Peter had failed and had denied our Lord. Jesus predicted that he would. And in a Moment of fear, Peter denied that, that he even knew Jesus. Remember the girl that came up and said, listen, aren't, aren't, Peter was warming himself by the fire, and she said, aren't, aren't you one of them? We're, we're, didn't I see you with Jesus? And Peter begins to curse her, and, and literally, I don't know what you're talking about. That was not me. Afterwards, and Peter realized what he did. He went out and he wept bitterly. Those are the two occasions that I understand that someone wept this much. And this is how John is weeping because nobody's worthy to step up. All through the ages, there have been evil men willing to take the title deed to the earth. Oh, there were men willing, but notice the scriptures are very careful. It says no man was worthy. Though there have been men willing, there have been none worthy. Not Nebuchadnezzar, not Darius, not Alexander the Great, not Attila the Hun, not Genghis Khan, not Napoleon, not Lenin, not Stalin, not Hitler. All had failed. No man was able to take the scroll and open the book. So there is this pause, this silence. And John is weeping. Something that has really convicted me. Because I understand what the scriptures are saying. No man was worthy. And I've given you a list of people like Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and Alexander the Great. But you know what really convicted me this week? Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Daniel, not Joseph, not James, not Peter, not even John was able to take back the title deed to the earth, Lehman Strauss writes something that um, is just so uh, helpful. He says, "Today the earth is in Satan's power. He is the prince of this world. Paul called Satan the god of this world and the prince of the power of the air." In Ephesians chapter two, verse two, and when the devil offered to give the earth to Christ in Matthew chapter four, he would that if he would just bow down and and worship him, that Um, he would turn the kingdom over to him. And notice that Jesus doesn't repudiate some of what was said there. Obviously, he doesn't bow down. But this present world has seemed to be in the hands of our enemy. And John recognizes how serious this is, so he weeps much. But I am here to tell you that there's good news. And that is in the verses that follow. In verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. I I love it when the scriptures use the word behold, like in John chapter 1, when John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, and he he turns our attention toward the Son of God that has come to deliver us. And here this elder says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. So there is one. And, and John, he says, behold, he, he turns and he looks and, and for whatever reason, he sees something that he hadn't seen before because we realize in chapter four and in chapter five that when John is given this vision, he sees the throne. He sees the one sitting upon the throne. He sees the, the four angelic creatures, these beasts, and he sees the 24 seats and the 24 elders. He sees all of that, but he doesn't say anything about the lamb. And so this elder says, stop, don't weep anymore because there is someone worthy. And and he says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Seems like you wouldn't miss a lion. And, And John turns and he beholds and you know what he sees? The lamb. And I beheld, verse 6, and lo, in the midst of the throne and, and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the world. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. He was the only one worthy, the only one that could take the title deed back to the earth. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of fragrances, which are the prayers of the saints. So trust me, don't stop praying for your lost uh, friends, for your loved ones, because God is keeping track of those prayers, and he's collecting those tears. And they sang a new song, saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. What an amazing time. John saw the throne. He saw the scroll. He saw the 24 elders. He saw the beast. He saw the lightning. He heard the thunder. But he missed the lamb. Where was the lamb? And when it is proclaimed, The lion of the tribe of Judah, he turns and he sees the lamb. Donald Gray Barnhouse once wrote that there were four things out of place in this universe. Four things that just aren't right. Number one, the church, which should be in heaven. Number two, Israel, which should be in peace, occupying all the land promised to them. Number three, Satan, which belongs in the lake of fire. Number four, Christ, which should be seated on his throne, reigning. I'm here to tell you that when Christ takes a scroll from the Father's hand, All four of these things will be straightened out. And all through the ages, the prayers of the saints are going to matter. Saying with a loud verse, verse verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Every creature which is in heaven, verse 13, And on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Yes, the Bible tells us that there are going to be mockers. There are going to be people who are saying, you know, you you Christians think that God's going to send his son someday and he's going to come back. Well, I don't see him. Where is he? (laughs) Maybe today. Well, I've got news for you. Maybe it will be today. Because Jesus is coming again. He's coming. Andrew Peterson uh, wrote this song, and um, I think the band is going to come up and play it. Uh, I want you to listen very carefully to the words. Uh, The words are, are so important. This is an amazing song. It's a series of questions that are then answered. And the biggest question of all is Is he worthy? So listen to this song is its play. song that I was really on my heart today was hope has a name and hope definitely has a name and it's Jesus Um, so as Rod was speaking I just kept thinking we have hope we have hope we have hope and it's Jesus
1: Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory Is he worthy of this? He is Does the Father truly love us? He does Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. And does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. You can sing with us as anyone? Is anyone worthy? Is, Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave From every people and tribe,
0: every nation and
1: tongue He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the sun is he worthy is he worthy of our blessing and honor and glory is he worthy is, is he, he worthy? worthy is he worthy of this he Is he worthy? Is he worthy?
0: was reminded of this week uh, every once in a while we run into people who say you know the book of revelation is just it's just all this judgment and how could a loving God do this upon the world and yes it is going to be seven horrible years of tribulation but can I remind us of something for 6,000 years God has given mankind every opportunity to receive Jesus as their Savior. Um, That's something we have to keep in mind, that he is a merciful God. In fact, as I've been studying this week, all through the book of Revelation, God Mm -hmm. continues to show mercy. Now, there's a lot of judgment. But as I understand, like between the sixth and the seventh seal, there's a bit of a time out. Between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, there's a bit of a time out. And then, and, and all through, I mean, you have the two witnesses that are going to have a powerful witness. They're going to be like two Billy Grahams or two Billy Sundays. You're going to have the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are going to be like Billy Sundays. They're going to have an amazing ministry. Even in the book of Revelation, there's amazing mercy, see. And there are going to be, I believe, thousands and thousands that are going to come to Christ. And I could show you from the scriptures why I believe that. Uh, there are going to be many martyred. Um, so for nearly 6,000 years, God has acted in mercy. Now I've thought to myself, Pastor Michael, if I was God, I would have never had that much mercy. <laughs> I, you know, I don't like it when somebody cuts me off on the road. <laughs> you know, I'm ready to, you know, just check them out. God has been so merciful. He has been so gracious for 6,000 years. The the seven years of tribulation, enough is enough. God is going to judge. But I'm also reminded in this chapter uh, that Jesus was worthy to take the scroll. He's the only one worthy to take back the title deed to the earth. That's an awesome thing. And I'm so glad for my salvation, aren't you? Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And we're so thankful for... The Book of Revelation, and and even though it's very frightening, we even see your mercy and your grace and your love that is poured out. We heard in the beginning of this service how we need to love the people in our town. We need to show love, and Father, that was that was so accurate. That was so right and so true. We need to show the love of God to everyone around us, Father. We know the holidays for many of us is a very happy time, and for others it's a sorrowful time. It's a time when life just doesn't seem to make sense. Lord, help us to be that person, to be that one, to, to bring some sense and some stability. And as the world looks to us, may we bring that hope and that hope that Jesus has brought to us. Father, I pray that you will work on our lives, work on our hearts this week, work on our lives today. And I pray that you would help us to be that refreshment that everyone around us needs. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. And Pastor Michael, I'll turn things back over to you.